I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. This morning is going to be themed on growing in maturity. And, and you know, what better place to do it than Alaska? I, uh, I have grown to love being here, and not just because of the spectacular beauty, and this is a true truly gorgeous place to live and be. We have moose in our front yard regularly that make me feel like I'm in a Chronicles of Narnia movie, you know, in terms of will I make it across the street to church or not today? There, there they are. And you're um, kind of chaining the dogs back and all of that. But it does, it's adventurous. I'm a genuine transplant from here or to here. And this is a genuine melting pot where some of you like me are transplants. Some of you grew up here and uh, there, there's sort of just a garden variety of personalities and accents, everything from uh, my wife, who is a, a genuine Yankee, to, uh, to Pete, you know, and everything in between um, in terms of Southern and Northern. And I, I lived uh, on the East Coast growing up. I was born in Delaware. I was raised in Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and would visit Florida. I interned down in Florida. I married a uh, northerner from Maine and upstate New York. So I did the eastern seaboard quite a bit. Um, moved to the West Coast and went to seminary and worked there in Southern California. So got up and down the West Coast a bit. And then halfway back to the Mid-South, did 11 years in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, and, and enjoyed that um, time in ministry and culture and learned how to eat barbecue a lot. And uh, the one place that I really was unfamiliar with was the Pacific Northwest. And so I guess we can say God took care of that um, by planting us here. And we get down to Seattle some and enjoy all the parts of the lower 48 uh, but I bring it up because being from the South is an interesting uh, topic in terms of Christian maturity. I said we talk about Christian maturity, and in the South, it's stereotyped that everybody believes in Jesus. And it's not just Jesus, like we normally would say, but Jesus. I mean, there is an emphasis there. There are additional syllables that are added when you go to the South uh, my dad's from Durham, North Carolina, that area. I had a lot of family in North Carolina, and things move really southern quickly if you cross out from the Norfolk, Virginia to Durham area. My name, which is Jeff, is pronounced with three syllables. So it's, it's hey, JF. And that's, that's how long it takes, you know, but it doesn't get a whole lot easier with where my brother lives in Atlanta. But we. Really to make the case that the Lord is in the South and, and, you know, and that's where you really can know him compared to anywhere else, that's really not a biblical case to be made. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that I know of, and I'm open to being um, challenged here, that says geography determines people's spiritual appetite or, or whether they will receive the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Um, the Lord is opening hearts all over the world, all over the globe, and there are countries and nations and continents that are rivaling even our country in terms of revival and things that are happening. So the Lord is uh, transcending culture. He does. Now, how do we know if someone is growing or not? And I know that you, like me, care about people who are close to you, who you really, really want to see grow spiritually. So how do you know this or 
observe this or discern whether someone is growing or needs to grow? Well, the Bible gives two basic principles, and you can write them down. They'll also be online. I'm sorry they're not up for the screen this morning. Number one, the surefire way to tell someone loves Jesus is by, listen, observing measurable growth in terms of an increasing hatred for sin and practice of it and having an increasing affection for Christ and the knowledge of Christ. Secondly, here's a second way you can know. So one is observing measurable growth in relation to someone's decrease in sin and increase in their love for Christ and a desire for depth there where they know Jesus and want to know more about Jesus in a deeper way. When someone's like that, they're growing. Another principle, and this is broader in terms of the book of Hebrews. Both principles are grounded throughout scripture, but Hebrews really captures both of these. Secondly, when someone is persevering through suffering, brought on specifically for being a Christian and suffering, especially through personal attacks, which are based on a personal commitment to Christ. I made both of those up, but that, you know, whatever. It's just they come from the book of Hebrews. Observable growth, measurable growth, and someone who perseveres through suffering for specifically being a Christian. When people do that, when there's growth and perseverance, they're growing. They're growing. When there's not, there's danger. And the book of Hebrews brings these dangers up over and over again. There's a danger in stagnation. It's a big deal when someone isn't growing. And it's a big deal when you observe someone growing. These are big matters in the Christian's life. Don't ignore the question of whether someone is growing or not who's in your world. Don't ignore asking yourself the question, am I growing or not? Why or why not? The Bible says drifting, chapter 2 of Hebrews, is dangerous, very dangerous. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you're adrift, but you're drifting away to potentially a place of no return. The heart hardening, that was chapters 3 and 4. All of these pose an eternal threat. Someone who lets themselves go means that they're not persevering, which means there's not life in that person. They're lifeless. Biblically speaking, it was never there. It's easy to turn out to be Judas Iscariot and not know what happened or why. You thought you were fine. You were with Christ. You were listening to Christ. Christ washed your feet. You performed miracles. Matthew 7, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, 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 this? Depart from me, I never knew you. Growth is a very, very big deal. Being able to discern whether someone's growing or not, or you are growing or not, is a big deal. So whether you can offer the softest, sweetest smile from sunny Virginia or North Carolina, or you're a Minnesotan or New York City, New Yorker, 
those become very immaterial personalities in terms of faith presentation. When you're talking about eternal realities, measurable growth and perseverance tell the true story of the state of someone's soul. It's a long introduction. So buckle back in. Here we go. Had a lifelong friend uh, conversation this week, and he was talking to me about his daughter who's away at a university, secular university. No problem with that. There's all kinds of hot-hearted, beautiful Christians who grow more because they're in that environment. I get that. I respect that. This lifelong friend of mine is one that I grew up with who went to secular university and grew a whole lot more while he was there. He actually became a Christian through a college ministry and grew, and I love that. His daughter, his oldest, is away at Secular University, and my good friend said, quote, she is, I hope, cryogenically frozen right now. What he means by that is she grew up in truth, she knows the truth, and he's hoping that there can be a four-year pause in her life where she'll come out on the other end believing super dangerous there's no such thing as a spiritual pause and that is spiritual suicide the pain and heartache that's associated with this kind of dynamic family dynamic is killer and yet when someone dies who is frozen the conversation is unparalleled in terms of how devastating the stakes are so high we cannot ignore the passage that's before us in terms of diagnosing spiritual growth it's being ignored people's spiritual growth and the health of where people are is ignored in general in the church I'm not indicting you personally or individually but environmentally we should be concerned about this We have a Christian school that I love. And for a parent to ignore the world's influence in secular arenas is like someone, speaking of Virginia Beach, like a parent who would put their child in a two-man boat. I saw this over and over again on the beach, a western wind. It makes the Atlantic Ocean completely placid like a lake. The wind is blowing. The water is freezing, by the way, because of that. So they put the child on the boat, they turn around, they're cold, they look back and the child is way out to sea, on the horizon, almost a speck. And as a lifeguard, you're swimming a long way to pull the child back to safety. A child that's left to him or herself in this world without accountability, it's very dangerous. But Christian schools can also be dangerous. As helpful as they can be and wonderful as they can be, they can be dangerous, just like church going can be dangerous. Hearing truth and not being open to the truth hardens the heart. A child can go into Christian school, can be on life support, the life support system of good, godly Christian curriculum, godly friends, a life support system of a moral friend group, teachers who are godly. And yet we've seen it over and over when the life support comes off and they go out into the world. If they don't know Christ yet, they begin to flatline. That doesn't mean they won't come around later. 
because the seeds are sown. So it's just important for us to face this head on. And I bring these practical applications up to get your attention. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm trying, or, you know, in terms of where you're from or where you align with anything I've said so far, I just want you to realize that this is a crucial matter to understand. Are you growing? Why or why not? Look at verse 11. I'm going to use verse 11 as an intro verse to this section because it, it tells us the problem, the disease called being dull of hearing. Chapter 5, verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The author is piggybacking right off of what he just said in verse 10. I think it's as specific as verse 10. He's bringing up how Christ is, is like Melchizedek. We who obey him, verse 9, being designated by God, a high priest, that's Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek. He's going to open all of that up in chapter 7. He's like, I've got a lot to say about Melchizedek, the mystery priest. Jesus isn't like the Aaronic priesthood. He is in one sense, but he's superior to Aaron's priests. He's after the order of Melchizedek, which is likened to an eternal priest. That's the picture of Christ. He's the intercessor between God and man. Jesus is in heaven, raining down blessings, advocating for us, fighting off the accuser, Satan. The blood of Christ, which was the sacrifice, according to 1 John 1, 7, is continually applied to our account. It is finished, and it is always applied eternally. The songs of heaven will be sung forever because of Jesus, who is our high priest, eternal after the line of Melchizedek. That's what he wanted. He wanted to do something like that better than I just did. He goes, but pause, I can't do that. I got to address something that's going on in your hearts as I'm talking to you. He's taking the youth group pause where you have people playing in the back. Hey, can we just stop right now? That's what he's doing here. You're not listening. Why? Because there's something going on in your heart that's clogging your ears spiritually from hearing. You're dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. It's a moral problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a character problem. It's deeper. I I was hunting for a word that could capture the problem of being dull of hearing. It's a dispositional problem. It's your disposition. It's where you are in terms of who you are in the inner man. It's where you are not. You cannot hear. It's an inability to hear. You say, wasn't this as black and white as being saved or unsaved? The author of Hebrews is addressing the church. We realize that if you are unregenerate, if the spirit of God has not yet awakened you where you are, John 3, born again, then you are in a naturally minded state. You're still carnal. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. And that is true. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, the lights come on. The knowledge of the glory of God flashes in your heart. And you say, I'm hungry for this. I'm alive. But there is a a spectrum between 
saved and unsaved and this middle ground where you have professing believers who you don't yet know if they are saved or not because they don't seem to have an appetite for truth. And then you have those who are Christians, but who have fallen backwards or going backwards and are dulled in their understanding. The word dull here is a word that could be translated lazy, lazy. I don't care about truth. It's blah, blah to me. Better word might be this one. I like this one. Lethargic. Someone who is given to lethargy. Lethargy. It's staying. It's a person who is frozen, but hopefully not frozen all the way. To freeze all the way means you don't come back. You know, one person put it this way. I loved it. It's the idea of the word being taught and it's just white noise. It's like when you're walking through an airport and you have the announcements over your head in the loudspeaker. You know, if you see a bag that's unattended, report that to someone else. Obviously, I'm listening a little bit because I can just remember that. But you're not really thinking about what the, what's being said, right? Or, you know, don't park in the yellow zone. Or when you're sitting there getting ready to take off and the flight attendant, God bless him or her, they're going through their service announcement. Where's the life vest? You know, the things are going to drop. Here's how you buckle and unbuckle the seatbelt. Which the seatbelts, by the way, are weird. But anyway, but I'll listen to that. And sadly, if the plane was going down, right, you just think, well, we're all going to die anyway. No, we, you know, that stuff is going on and people are not listening to it. And that's what happens in the heart when you are dull in your understanding. The announcements are coming. The preaching is going. The word is before you and you hear it as if you've been there and done that and don't need to hear it anymore. Dull of hearing. So dull that in verse 11, the author says it would be hard to explain. It would be hard to get through to you the significance of Christ being from the order of Melchizedek. You know what that means? That means this. It's not that someone couldn't understand what's being taught like in a class. It's that it doesn't matter to them. Do you see the difference? It could be dangerous for some of you to attend an institute class and learn more things and not really care about what you're learning. It's got to go from information, pardon the cliche, to transformation. Or it's killing you, hardening you, tempting you to be in a state of cryogenic freezing which really is terrible because people don't come back from being frozen all the way. So in verses 12 to 14, we learn how to fight lethargy. How do we fight it? Hopefully I've made the case that this is a serious issue and that we need to learn to fight it. First of all, you need to drink your milk. Did your mom ever say that to you? Drink the milk. Here it is. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again 
the basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. Now, the author here is being sarcastic. He's being very clear, very straightforward, indicting the people for where they are not, where they should be, if you see that, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You ought to be at this age of your development further along. You are underdeveloped for where you are. You're like a teenager who's still living like an eight-year-old. That's what he's saying. It's very strong. You're not proportionately developed. You're proportionately underdeveloped with where you are. Now, these believers, according to Hebrews 13.24, I believe they are Christians in Italy. I think that was the connection the author was making. He was making it from where he was to them. They were of Jewish descent because they understand the connections between the old covenant and the new, but they were struggling to stride forward. Now, again, there was Nero's persecution in the Greco-Roman age where Christians were going to be killed. And as he rose in power, the threat of death was coming. They had not yet resisted to the shedding of blood, Hebrews 12, 4, but they had obviously gone through levels of persecution already. And they were, they were scared. And these probably being of Jewish descent were wanting to retreat to the old covenant system and say, I'm not a Christian, I'm just a Jew. Because it was still legal in Rome to be a Jew. You were still safe if you're a Jew. And listen, our culture is going to threaten us in this way. This is not by mistake to overtly be a Christian where the dividing line is made, where you're not going to blur the issue and say, oh, I'm just a postmodern. I'm just one of many roads that lead to heaven. No, I'm either a Christian or I'm not a Christian. And these were tempted to say, I'm going to tuck back under a ceremonial system and I'm going to use that as cover fire for me instead of saying, no, I am a Christian. The author of Hebrews is going to get very severe in our next section regarding how threatening it is to do something like that, that kind of compromise. He's saying you're not striding. You're not teaching. You know what that means? That means you're willing to be a listener. You're willing to be a consumer, but you're not willing to go out there and actually express, this is what I believe convictionally. This is material that I own. This is material I identify with. This is Christ, and now I'm going to communicate him to you publicly, which means in a Bible study, it means 101, it means whatever. I'm going to take what I'm listening to, and I'm going to stand for it outwardly. There's a price to be paid when you do that. Number one, you have to be disciplined enough to learn truth at a level where you could communicate it. And all believers are called to do that. Whether you have the gift of teaching or not, you're called to communicate. Matthew 28, go and make disciples teaching all that I've commanded you. It's the same word. We're called to teach. We're called to share. They had already had leaders, Hebrews 12, 7, who spoke the word of God to them. They were under people that they were supposed to give respect to. So the church was growing in its organization there. It uh, was organized enough to have church leadership according to chapter 12, verse 17, obey your leaders, right? 
So the body was called at this point to not only to take, but to give. And instead of giving out, they were stagnant. They were stalled. They were in a pause. But there's grace here. Even in the sarcasm, there's grace. You, see this in verse 12, need milk. You're not ready for solid food, but you need milk. There's nothing wrong with the milk. It's not milk is lame. You really need meat. No, milk is the foundation. Milk is what babies drink to get teeth so they can eat meat, right? Milk builds, builds muscle. It's the immediate need. There is a rebuke though with the grace. You need someone to teach you again. Verse 12, you've been taught, you've had the milk, but you need to hear it again. The basic principles, the elementary doctrine, that's the same word as chapter 6, verse 1, the elementary doctrine of Christ. You need to learn the same ABCs of the gospel again. A refresher course. You need to think about Jesus, who he is, fully God, fully man. He came, virgin born, lived a perfect life, died, buried, rose again, ascended on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father. We need to reestablish you in that before we start to talk about the significance of the typology of Melchizedek and how Christ is different from the line of Aaron to the line of Melchizedek. Before we go there, let's just get back to root, rudimentaries. But there's hope in that, right? You say, how do I shake myself out of lethargy? The pastor's read my mail. I am lethargic. Start with the basics. Start with the basics. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, it says, not laying again. It says, it says leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. There's a point at which you have to get it, regrasp it, and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. He's basically saying, you need to learn again who Christ is, repent of your sins, and believe. It's not getting saved again. It's just going back to basics. When was I excited most about scripture? When was I excited about the Bible stories? When did it all matter? It was when I found Christ, I repented of my sins, and I believed. Rekindle that. Go back there. Remember your story. Remember your conversion. Remember the basics of the gospel. And from that foundation, relaunch. That's what he's saying. Go there again. You should be at the teaching stage. You've been taught. You need to be taught again. Again, milk isn't bad. First Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. That's not getting saved. That's being energized in who you are as a saved person. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good, it's rekindling. Taste and see the Lord is good. You know he's good. You know he satisfies. You know he's enjoyable. Don't deny who he is. Milk is the basic oracles of God. You see that in verse 12? It was oracles just means the spoken 
Orality is speaking. It's the spoken word of God. This is the author of Hebrews talking about how the word was spoken from Old Testament to the gospels. It's been spoken. It was spoken even through the New Testament Testament epistles by Peter and Paul and John. It was the spoken word that we have captured and scripturated as the inspired, unchanging, unfallible, perfect text that's found in the word of God. That is the word of God. So the elementary principles that are, are meant to shock our system out of lethargy. Remember the one-liner, the famous one-liner from the coach, Vince Lombardi. Football's over, but hey, it lives on one more week. Here we are. Vince Lombardi, he's starting preseason. He won, I, th- I think if I have it right, you know, three championships in the first two Super Bowls. And he's standing there um, twice the age of his players at training camp, they're shaking in their boots. The legendary Vince Lombardi is there. What is he going to say to start camp? He's half their size, kind of a smallish coach, picks up a football and says these five words, this is a football, right? Some of us need to do that. We need to say, (laughs) we need to say, this is a Bible. I need to read it again. It's that simple. Say, how do I break through lethargy? Well, you break through it and then you leave lethargy behind with the basics and then you go right on to maturity. It's important to understand that if you go for the milk, which is what we're supposed to do, you can't stay just with the milk. And there's a temptation to do that. How many of you have said, okay, I'm going to start reading the Bible again. And you start reading the Bible and you say, I'm going to go to community group. You go to community group. I did it. I'm going to Bible class. I'm at Bible class. And you say, man, this feels pretty good. All right. Well, now I'm just going to pause and stop right there. And it all recycles and you start to go back, back, back again. Like the children's game, right? I'm going down the chute and ladder, right? I'm going down, down, down. That's what happens when we don't stride forward, when we don't say, I'm drinking the milk out of a motivation to grow to meat. Do you see? If you stay in milk and you're satisfied in milk, then you will make yourself very vulnerable. Vulnerable like Hebrews 6 is going to talk about. It's not okay to just survive. You have to thrive. It's not okay to just have life support. It's a lot of postmoderns and premillennials um, today who, um, who live, or millennials, I should say, that's funny, millennials, I should say, of age who, who stay at home or stay as a dependent in their parents' homes and, and they live on their life support and they say, man, this feels really good. I'm fine. I'm doing well. And really when confronted, If they were to dig deep, they would have to admit they're not actually ready to be out on their own yet. And that's where these believers are. They need to stride forward to get out of their comfort zone, to push, to use spiritual gifts. It means that you have to know the Bible on a credible level so that you can teach it. What does this look like? It looks like obeying 
basic Bible truths. You have to, first of all, drink the milk, which means you got to get dissatisfied with where you are. You got to say, I'm dull of hearing. I don't want to be dull of hearing. I ought to be a teacher. I'm not a teacher. And then you have to be teachable, which means you have to hear the word of God. You have to hear it with a motive to grow. And then thirdly, you have to obey basic Bible truths. Look at verse 13. It says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Verse 13 is predicting this obstacle of, son, of someone who suddenly be, is reacquainted with the milk. It tastes good and they get so comfortable that they hit the brakes again. And they stay as a milk drinker. Verse 13, it says, he who lives on milk... The author is beginning to show how embarrassing it looks for an adult believer or someone that could or should be a mature believer who's still stuck in being a milk drinker. They're unskilled in the word. They're unskilled. That means that it's as if when they read the Bible, they they might understand some basic elements about the Bible, but they really don't have any facility with it whatsoever. You don't really understand the connections for how Jesus is all through the Bible and it was all about him, Genesis to Revelation. You don't really know what it means to be a church and what that looks like and how to grow as a church. You're called to be acquainted with the word of God, skilled with the word of God. James 1, and through 24 says that a person who looks into the mirror, he looks into the word of God as if a mirror and sees who he is. And then soon after forgets what he saw. Verse 24, he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is a person who is, verse 23, a hearer of the word, but not a doer. They hear it like airport airport road noise. You're hearing it. It's the airport announcements. And you don't really care what you're hearing. You forget what it's saying about you. You might get a glance of yourself in the mirror, but you're not a doer. You don't do anything about it. You don't do anything. That's what a person who's just a milk drinker is. It's a person who's just staying there, saying, I'll hear it, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Not at all. I'm unskilled. I'm perhaps even unable spiritually to know what to do with the word of God. The picture here in a modern sense would be something like this. Adults crawling around in the nursery on Sunday morning with their bottle of milk, not knowing what to do. Where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I go? I got my milk. I've got my milk, but I don't know what to do. One author put it this way. It's like adults in diapers. It's just literally ridiculous. It's ridiculous. People will deliberately refuse to engage and understand the depth of scripture One author said, it's a surgeon who refuses the new techniques of surgery. It refuses the equipment, says, what I learned as a student 50 years ago is good enough for me. It's it's someone who's content to stay religious. It's the Peter Pan of Christianity who says, I do not want to grow up. Might be a charming play, but it's a real tragedy in life. 
1 Corinthians 13, 11, put it this way. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Are we as a church? This is how I felt this week as I looked at it, myself included. Are we willing as a church to step up into maturity? Because I think that's where we are as a church in the history here. There's sort of a a dividing line between being a customer-oriented church where we're setting the table for you to come and feed and leave. But I want you to think about a reconsideration of what church is. You come and you feed and then you lead. See the difference? You don't feed and leave. You feed and lead. You, You take and then you give. You say, how can I give the word of God to others? The only reason why people shouldn't be here and more people shouldn't be here is because they're repulsed by the gospel that we're standing for. Otherwise, people will say, wow, they know the truth. They believe it. It's convictional and they're giving it. And that's uncommon. And I'm going to be here. Maturity, going on to maturity. One person said, most Christians are betweeners. Warren Wearsby said that. Most Christians are betweeners. They live between Egypt and Canaan. What's the word of righteousness? Look at this. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. You could say, well, that's talking about justification or the gospel of righteousness where we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are positionally saved and justified. That's taught all through the New Testament, but I don't think that's what the author is saying here. The word of righteousness means you are a doer of the word. The word is producing actions, results, fruit. You don't just hear it. You hear it in your heart and it changes you. It makes you do things. This is what eating meat looks like. So what does that look like to be a meat eater? It begins in verse 14. You were unskilled in the word of righteousness. You were a child or an infant. But verse 14, but solid food, this is contrasting all of that, being unskilled, dull of hearing. Now solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This verse, and I'll unpack it, is in general meant to give you a vision of what you should be like. This is a vision or a goal of what it looks like to be mature. The first vision that the author gave was you're a milk drinker who's unskilled crawling around with your bottle. The second vision is you are mature. You are practicing your maturity. You have a Bible grid where you think through life's decisions and are able to discern between good and evil and you practice this regularly. That's the vision of maturity. It's someone who moves out of the house who is now self-sustained and sustaining themselves in their life. Maturity is the goal. And in one sense, fighting dullness of hearing is simply becoming disgusted with being dull of hearing 
and becoming enlivened with maturity, inspired by maturity. It's a healthy dissatisfaction where you say, I don't want to be there spiritually. I want to be there spiritually. What is maturity? To be mature is telos. It's the same root word that's used of Christ in verse 9. Do you remember that sermon from last week? And being made perfect. That's that same word, telos. Jesus, I made the case from Scripture, grew. He learned through obedience. As a child, he grew in wisdom, in knowledge, with favor of God, in favor with man. He grew. He grew as a child, as a teenager, and as a young adult. He was impeccable. He couldn't sin because he was God, but he was given genuine, authentic tests and challenges by God as a means of preparation for him to pass each test, which he did genuinely, authentically, and without sin. And that was him being made perfect, verse 9, where he was fully vindicated, fully affirmed in this genuine growth track that he went through. Christ passed the test at every point. He genuinely matured. And we talked about the maturity all the way up to Gethsemane, where he sweated great drops of blood authentically as the final test, where he aligned his will with the fathers and went to the cross Those tests and thresholds of maturity are are our example for how we live. And whatever you're going through now is a test that God has ordained to prepare you for a harder test down the road later. And so as we seek solid food, we need to do so with fear and trepidation. The reason people stay a milk drinker is because they think that they are safe as a milk drinker. They're just learning knowledge. They're just showing up. They're just doing a Bible study. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. But are you? Hebrews 6 says you're vulnerable. You're like an adult who never transitioned on to solid food. You're still in baby food. It's dangerous. It's not normal for someone to stay as a believer in that state. We're supposed to go on to maturity, living the word of God when life gets hard, not going to other means to salve our wounds or our difficulties or our guilt or our trial. We go to Christ and we go with holy sweat into the most difficult circumstances and the most difficult life situations with a depth of application that's costly, that's real, that's personal and powerful in our lives. It takes hard work. Meat translates into discernment. You've moved from the ABCs of what Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 talks about. You're past just repenting of dead works and exercising faith. Now you're moving into solid food. You've moved from milk, which is the basic source to depth and breadth. You're applying Christ, fulfilling the type of Melchizedek in your life as intercessor. He's there with you in a meaningful way. And you have application there. You have promises that you're clinging to. Look, a baby, a a real baby, just crawling around will put anything in its mouth, won't it? Right? Right? Left to itself, it'll just, oh, look, you know, 
a bolt on the floor. This is, you know, a chew toy. I mean, they, they just do that. Freaked me out all of my days watching six of them do that. So far, they've made it. But a baby Christian's the same thing. They'll put anything into their mouths. Any TV preacher, any charlatan, they'll give money away. They'll give their time. They'll be led astray into cults, false religion, go to weirdo conferences that are just bizarre. You go, how did you end up there? They're just a baby. You mature through gaining the grid of scripture. Literally, as it says, the powers of discernment, the powers of discernment, the grid, the ability to see things that you couldn't see before. You, you gain spiritual faculties. You gain the spiritual five senses where you can see spiritually the journey and life and understand why God is doing certain things in you and through you with circumstances, mature, eating solid food. It's the opposite of the milk drinker. If you stay foolish, you won't stride. Judy and I, we raised six babies. Um, we've seen them grow. I asked one of, my, one of my children if I could share this, and he said yes. So one of my twins is Carson, and um, growing up, he struggled with asthma and just breathing. He had a breathing machine most of his um, childhood. Um, Judy's solution when Carson was newly born as a little baby was to fill that little boy with as much milk as she could possibly get into him. And I think if I understand things correctly, she did that as a reservoir in his body so that when he couldn't breathe, he would be able to live on the milk. And I don't know exactly how that works, but intuitively she just put a lot of milk in that boy and a lot of formula as well. So much so that when you laid the twins out next to each other, we have a picture where they're laying next to each other um, on a couch and one of them, their stomach is flat. The other one, it's like a hill. (laughs) We call Carson Mr. Chubb because of that. And Carson at times would have to go to the children's hospital um, for breathing and it would get so shallow that we feared for his life. Even he would be hooked on to pulse ox monitors and heart monitors. And some of you have been through that stuff. And one night, Judy was just sitting up with Carson, just watching him. And he went ghost white and stopped breathing. So the monitors weren't helping at that point. You just kind of hit your own alert. And the doctors and nurses came and rescued him. And obviously, he made it. Um, So when did we know? Here's the question. When did we know Carson was going to be okay? when he went from milks to solid. So when you or someone you love has shallow breathing spiritually, when do you think they're going to be okay? It's when they move from milk to solid. Solid foods. That's what we want. Jesus Christ came to give us this kind of life. Don't settle for milk. Move to the meat, right? Be like Christ. He pushed in this life. We push, but we push out of a motivation of grace.